Yeah, so we're uh, we're uh, we're podcasting from from the beautiful Casino Guitars area. We're podcasting from Casino Guitars. I was going to say Nashville, Tennessee, but we're actually in Southern Pines, North Carolina. <laughs> same thing. It's All right. I wanted to sound like we were more exotic or something. And they're right now the recycling truck is out front of our studio taking the, the boxes away. So this is a typical Tuesday morning for That's Casino right. Guitars Land. They're doing great out there. No. Well, there you go. Man, why not? All right. So, so retail, I mean, that's uh, this last year has been challenging, right? It's been challenging, but it's been super exciting. We've had, yeah. I think, you know, yeah. we've met more strange new guitar players than ever. Yeah. In this strange oh, year. Yeah. And all like different ages and, you know, different everything. I don't know. It's just strange. You see different people than what we're used to, I guess, you know? Yeah, well, I can I can only imagine. I mean, it's uh, uh, this last year for my little company, Smart Bell, has been really interesting because on one hand, it's been challenging for the for, for some of the physical dealers. On the other hand, I have like you guys probably met a lot of folks that were just kind of sitting at home bored and went, "Why don't I buy an amp or a pedal? Because if I don't, <laughs> I'm going to go crazy." And, That's right. And, well, uh, well, I'm, so thinking, though, my I'm thinking like Lance, like a, like a smart bell would be a fun one to like sort of like jump into. Like I want to get myself my a good smart beginner bell, amp, a smart bell amp for my starter. <laughs> that's a nice, that's a nice start. Well, amp. well, the thing, the thing that's weird about our amp and I may be wrong. You guys can correct me or somebody else can correct me if they know, but I didn't ever like eighties dumbbells at all. None, zero. In fact, I owned one. What? I owned a dumbbell. I owned a dumbbell that was on the bench, apparently, according to Alexander, was being built when he built Robin Ford's. Oh, wow. So it was kind of that same era. But I don't like blackface sounds. I've never liked them. And so um, there's a there was a guy in Austin that had apparently, and I don't even know anybody's supposed to know this, he's got like the third dumbbell ever built, which is, you know, that was actually not just a mod. <clears throat> and it... Um, it was a four six V, I mean six L six thing, but it was voiced like a tweed twin that would have been like modified, you know, put on some sort of I will take bizarre, it. <laughs> some, some some sort of bizarre Texas steer, you know, antibiotic uh, booster shot or something. I don't know, but it was it, it, it sounded like a tweed <laughs> amp to me, and I really dug that. And, and you can't find them; those things are just basically complete unobtainium. So. Right. Um, I, I, I worked with a I worked with a builder and just uh, we designed one and built one and I went, yeah, that's what I want. I want basically a jacked up tweed tweed. Well, I I have two of your amps, so it's um I appreciate the builds of them. I like the the insanity that comes out of them, and they are gorgeous builds. The build quality is on point, and I'm gonna keep one of them forever. Maybe sell one down the road once people realize those might be unobtainium too. Once I once I die or whatever, you'll just hang on to it. God, I can't wait. You know. <laughs> so close. <Yeah. laughs> Fingers crossed. Hey, Lance, you've given us a run for the money in the past year. You you had a few little bumps there. Oh, man, I know. Yeah, January of last year, uh, my, my wife and I had moved to New Mexico in December of 2020, I guess. And 2021 mm-hmm. started out with me just having my, my birthday on New Year's Eve. And I went, hey, I'm going to run back to Austin and get a, get a few things. Got to Austin, couldn't breathe. Um, went to our friend's freestanding ER there, um, uh. Physician's Premier ER there. And they tested me and said, man, you got COVID. And I was like, oh, come on, really? And, and they said, 
go home, keep this oxygen meter nearby. And if it gets below 90, come back and see us. And I went, okay. By the next night, it's 74. Oh, wow. <laughs> Lord. Yeah. And later on, one of the nurses said, we tell people later if we know them that, you know, 70 is coded. I mean, when somebody's still showing 70 when they're dead. Wow. Man. So uh, it was it was a rough run, man. I spent 10 days in the hospital and do not ever get hospitalized at St. David's Hospital in Austin, Texas. They won't send you any food. <laughs> we, we, we've just, we'll take that as a word of um, caution. I, I don't think anybody in this podcast besides you will ever be in that hospital. That's, that is probably well, true. Well, I'm, well, I'm glad you awesome. came out of it though, man, because it was, I mean, I remember talking to you right around then too. We were first starting to talk some about some other things and it was scary. It was touch or go for a minute. Yeah, it really was. And, and what, what was kind of interesting is, you know, I don't know how much you guys believe in, you know, otherworldly things. I mean, everybody's got their different belief systems. Oh, but okay. I had a really, had a really crazy experience in the hospital where, you know, I was kind of got the message that if I made music my priority again, that everything would kind of work itself out. And literally, I got a new record deal while I was in the hospital. So something and, um, did. So, so you did connect to something or someone out there. Yeah, and uh, my but you know now who is my buddy Brian Berkerhoff who owns this label. Uh, he used to run BMG Music Publishing and and uh, signed the band to a deal. And you know what you guys know. You know you've been around the music business enough to know that these days somebody goes, "I got a record deal." What that generally means is they paid to go do the record, and then somebody else made the money. Right. Correct. And Brian Brian was actually real straight up. He paid paid for the record to be done, paid the band and, you know, it's being really, you know, legit. And so we got a, a European distribution deal and, and, uh, going over there in June COVID permitting. And so there you go. Well, and then now you're so, launching out, you got the, um, Lance Kelder and the Nuevo retro, you know, you've, you've yeah. launched out right now. You're single. How long's out? Just, it just released, didn't it? Yeah. It's been out about a, about a week. And, um, you know, I'm I'm getting some pushback from it because it's what for? I wouldn't say it's I would well. I mean, some people are going. In fact, I had a guy yesterday on Facebook literally say to me, "Yeah, I watched your video. Why don't you stay out of out of politics and world events and just play rock and roll?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean to write about butts and how much money I have? I mean, I'm not a rapper, <laughs> you know." And so, you know, I you know, it's like. The band, the band and I are like very concerned about simple things that we're all concerned about right now, regardless of our political affiliations. Everybody's worried about, you know, uh, stability in the world and people being able to eat and, you know, take care of one another. And it's like the song is just kind of something we want to shed light on some of the evil in the world. And no, man, that's what you're supposed to do as a musician. And it's, um, it's not, and the thing that, that caught me with the single too, it, it doesn't sound like you're a man of like, that's been, um, that's been here that, you know, it sounds like it's coming from a younger cat, not saying that we're old. Well, well, you know, well man, I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, we're, um, you no, know, it sounds, it sounds like, you know, like something that would be a little bit fresher, like, you know, from like, yeah. cause, you know, cause a lot of times you, your first inclination, when I heard Lance Keltner's got a new single coming out, I'm, I'm expecting a blues rock song is going to come out and we're going to hear sort of like this type of vibe. And it was not you that. Say it's got to stop. 
Exactly. Okay, right. Well, what, I'll tell you what's really weird is is that um, because you know we were signed to Acco Records in the early '90s, and that just was a disaster. <laughs> but we ended up getting signed in Europe, and we happened to get signed by Pro Vogue Records. You know, a mascot Pro Vogue. You know, Bonamoff and a bunch of guys are on that right. label. They, and I was I was one of the early guys on there. It was like me and Michael Caton and a few other guys and. And you know their their uh, catchphrase for the label was, was "Where Blues Meets Rock," so everybody all assumed that I was from Texas, and they were gonna, we were going to come over there and do shuffles, right? You know, <laughs> and the first tour was pretty weird because we'd show up and do what we do, and you'd have these German guys that would literally yell out between songs, "Why will you not play the blues?" <laughs> <laughs> That makes me happy, though. I mean, because like, that's funny. Like, yeah. I'm going to jump back a little bit because, like, I first really discovered you, I think, on YouTube years ago. Me too. Yeah. It was um, and like, because you were doing all sorts of product demos and you know, a lot of stuff with car amps, which I'm obsessed with car amplifiers. Everyone knows that. And um, yeah, and I, and I can't deal him though because he's he can't he can't open any new dealers. He's been saying that for years. I'm like, Steve, you're an hour away from my shop. Come on, Steve, let's figure it out. But um, but, yeah. I, but I, I, your playing is very much it fits. I know you're an Austin guy, but it's not your typical Austin swagger. It's um, your playing is what I first got attracted to. No offense, it's not your physique and your your, your glam. Oh, or whatever. Yeah, I'm not that. I'm you're not beautiful. I'm mean, a good looking guy, but oh, you're just not my type. It's, I'm, I'm more to Jonathan. <laughs> but um, no, but it, you so you bad, have man. that you play like your chordal playing. It you know it's it's not Eric Johnsony, but it has like it definitely is not what you expect to hear. And I like that because I sort of play a little bit off myself, and it's, you have a unique a unique way with the guitar and I, I've always enjoyed it. And I didn't, I didn't even know who you were until I had to do some research years later after watching these, like, you know, demos like, Oh, he's like a rock star dude. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Jonathan knew this though. He knew this when I was talking about you it's true. years back, probably four or five years ago or something. Um, but no, you've done everything. And like the most important thing though, were you a musical director for LA guns? Well, at one point, here's what happened. Um, uh, Tracy and Phil had had some sort of a disagreement. You know, I'd, I've never met Tracy. Um, my first real sort of, you know, uh, exposure to those guys was I was hired to play with this kid, Tim Carr, who was on EMI Records way, way back in like 90. And they were managed by Left Bank Management, who also managed LA Guns. Okay. And so I was kind of around those guys, but never really met them. So Phil Lewis moved to Austin uh, when he and Tracy kind of got at odds with each other. And and Phil said, you know, I'm going to put something together and go do the songs, you know, and do you want to be in the band? I said, sure. So I, I did touring with Phil, and it was supposed to be called Phil Lewis. But about half the dates were billed as L.A. Gunn. Okay. And there, was, and there was nobody in the band from L.A. Guns except Phil. <laughs> so, I like that. I, so, just, I, I just have not heard LA Guns in so long. And like, I remember loving that band when it came out. I was like, I can't. Well, they were cool, man. I mean, they were just cool, swaggery dudes. Exactly. And, you know, and Philip, Philip is, you know, the, the cool British dude. You know, I fucking Philip, man. You know, I said, yeah, I'm Philip. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those guys. And so, Philip, um, we really started to kind of get booked a lot. And in the midst of this, we got offered some a pretty major tour to go open 
And at that point, I guess he and Tracy started talking again. Okay. And I, and I think Tracy said, you know, okay, enough of this. Let's try to put the band back together. And I think they did for a while. And I don't know if they've kind of been off and on, I guess, for a long time. And um, I haven't seen Phil and, oh, man, I haven't seen Phil since maybe we ran into each other at the NAMM show, I guess, 10 years or so ago. But, yeah, I played with Phil Lewis. Um, briefly did a little thing with Rod Stewart. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like, well, that, that, let me stop before you get into all that stuff, too, because, like, that's what I just wanted. I used the LA Guns almost as a comical reference just to bring it into, but, but people are listening. They're probably Googling, too, if they don't know who you are, but you've been playing since you were, what, 10? And you've opened for, yeah. you know, Eric Johnson, Joe Satriani, the Allman Brothers. You've played, you know, with Rod Stewart, everybody out there, pretty much. And um, so, like, you know, if you're listening right now and you're like, who's this Lance Keltner guy? Like, that's who he is. He's he's, yeah. he's paid the dues. He's done it, and he's a cool cat, and he can play guitar, and you can see him on YouTube as well. And I mean, make some cool toys too. So like, it's a whole thing. Like you've done, you know, watching your solo career too was kind of fascinating. When you go back and we look at it now, because like you were getting signed up in the '90s quite a bit. Was that correct? Uh huh. Yeah, I had. I mean, I had my first real major label record deal in 1990, and um, and you know the crazy thing is, I you know guys, it's like if you're out there and you're a younger guy and you're looking to play music and get into the record business, you know at some point here in the next year, I'm going to have a book out that you guys should all read. Um, and you know it's like it, it's really strange. Like there's a there's a Pink Floyd song and I can't remember the actual name of the tune. But God, it hits home because you can tell they're writing about the music industry. It's the one that goes, there's no way out of here. When you come in, you're in for good, that thing. Yep. And because, you know, you, you commit yourself to this and you get into it and you realize how dirty the business is. You know, and it, it, it is it's that. hard. You know, it's very hard. And, and a lot of people will go, you know, they may look at a particular artist. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking, you know, people that are really successful. Then go, oh, that guy must have it made. And you go, well, not really. You know, because even guys that manage their money well can have a hit or two and not have any money left. You know, know, there's there's always someone to take your money. Like, I I like the the kink song, The Money Train, is my favorite summary of the music business. There's just, there's always another person with their hand out. Then eventually, at the end of the train, the artist gets paid after that dollar has been eviscerated. (laughs) Maybe. Destroyed about fifteen different ways, and then it's like here you go. No, I, 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 I think we've all been burned in some ways in the in the business. There's always a few snakes out there living in the um living in paradise. Because it can, it's a well, be- yeah, beautiful. Well, well, I'll tell you, what, it was really weird. I, I produced this, uh, I produced this rap group one time, believe it or not, at my studio in Austin, and, and super sweet kids. And the guy, the main guy and I were sitting down one day and he's all excited about his record. And he goes, man, he goes, this stuff's going to come out. You know, I'm going to get a a deal. It's going to blow up. And I said, and I'll do the short version of the long story. I went, I went, okay. So first of all, you realize you don't make the money from the CD, right? He goes, what do you mean? I said, Greg Cummings makes most all the money. And I said, and what they're probably going to do is they're going to say, we don't want this record to come out that Lance produced. We want to have some you know, top rap producer do it. So they'll redo it. He goes, and I said, they'll give you, you know, back then, $150,000 advance, of which the producer in the studio will spend all of it. 
Yep. And and then I, and he goes, yeah, but then the record comes out and we blow up. And I said, well, wait, how long now? You you know you you have to pay back all that money from the studio out of your rep, your sales, and your percentage is small anyway. And he goes, well, okay. And I said, and you do want to do a video, right? Well, yeah, I want to do a video. Well, there's another hundred fifty thousand bucks. Now you're down three hundred thousand dollars to these guys before you pull the trigger and you got to recoup all that money before you make it die. It's a, and he said, yeah, but the CDs cost this much. I'm like, no, you don't recoup at that level. You recoup at the much smaller level. Like, here's what your number is. Oh man. Well, we'll, we get, we'll go play though. All right. You want to open for 50 cent, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be great. Well, that's going to cost you. Now you want your, other friends on the tour and a DJ and all that kind of stuff too. Well, of course, and background dancers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> by the time your single drops, you owe a major label label half a million dollars. It's, it's a monstrous yeah. little circle. It's um most people didn't realize back in the old days of labels, glory times, it's the labels pretty much just a bank. It's a bank with yeah. a PR machine, and the, they just forward you money. So they'll get you, they'll get you. Now, a good label will work their tail off to kind of, and that you have, if you have a good team. But I've seen plenty of bands get signed up. They spend about you know quarter million to half a million dollars on you know putting them out on tour. With, you know, Maroon Five was uh, right. It's one band I knew. They were out on tour with them. It's a great band called Carbondale. And um, you know, then the label heads changed, and then the label head decided they didn't want to spend any more money on this band to promote them. They shelved it. Band breaks up, guys go their separate ways. They've spent half a million dollars. They don't have to pay it off, but they never recoup. The band is over. The masters are owned by the label. That's game game over. Yep. It's, um, I can remember hearing songwriters in Nashville talk about they would make these records and they'd have record deals, and they would refer to a certain record label as the Artist Protection Agency because what they would do is they would they would sign <laughs> all these guys who kind of sounded the same. They would pick their favorite and then shelve all the other guys to get rid of the competition. So they'd only, you know, you'd only be you'd one guy. Smart. They'd be the, putting the singles out. In you know? the Beastie Boys book that I listened to, they talked about that and how they kind of lucked out because their record label, had, I think it was Capital, it changed over so many hands within their first three records. And by the time that they got to their third record, they were just like, whatever you want to do, just do it. <laughs> right. We don't care. And they weren't like pushing the record. It's kind of like you're saying where they kind of shelved it, but then it secretly came out as like a hit. And they were like, well, oh. These guys, it was like, not coming out. It would yeah. never come out. So you imagine yeah. you spend all this time and money and you think, Oh, I'm That's gonna the, I'm gonna get I'm gonna blow up and then the label's like, nah, and we own it. So yeah. Don't screw worry you. about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We own your songs. You, you can you can well, never put it out. Yeah. Yeah, well it's a lot it's a lot easier to get famous than it is rich. True. <laughs> it seems to you be you know we should all go I'm, into and, and 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 the and the goofy thing, dude, is I work my butt off my entire career. And you know when the most people knew who I was, YouTube videos. Oh yeah, isn't that funny? Because I mean, that's again, like I said in the beginning, that's how I met you and saw you. It was yeah. like, wow, this guy's a great player, and I love how yeah. you do demos. And I and think, then we yeah. became bros through the um the interwebs. In a larger way, with the YouTube stuff, I think it shows what you can do as an independent. You know, because YouTube, you're independently doing it the same way where if you're independently pushing your own music and stuff, you're probably going to make the most money that you will if you have a good team surrounding you who is based on friends, family, you know, people who actually care about what you're doing versus somebody who's looking to make a buck off of you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had a lot of great support from our friends and, and 
we haven't gotten to play in Europe in a while based on, you know, everything being shut down. But, you know, our European uh, supporters and friends over there have been great so far. And, and in fact, I've got a meeting in about 10 minutes uh, with a booking agent. And hopefully, hopefully we're going to go over there in June and be there the whole month and get to get back into this thing a little bit. Well, I, I've, we just had a friend get back from Europe, and he had a great experience. He sold out his, his yeah. European tour for the most part. His kid named Zach Person. He's yeah. actually yeah. down in Austin, Texas. Have you um, have you met him yet? Who? Zach Person. Have not met him. No, he's he's a, sort of a young and up and comer. He's done some stuff with like the Foo Fighters and Buddy Guy and like uh, a whole bunch of, like um, Spoon, a bunch of big acts. Um, Anderson Pack, Anderson Pack. Um, he's he's a young up and comer, young blues sort of hot shot, but he writes some mean songs and he, he's good looking too. I hate that guy. He, he talked about his European stuff though, and he said it was like a completely different world. It's still like rock and roll. He's like, I went over there and it was like people just coming up, and you know, he's like, I felt I felt like I was doing the thing. He's like, then I come back here, and it's like, okay, yeah, because people want to go see, they want to yeah. see shows over there, yeah. and they they don't mind paying to see the show. Right. And yeah, it's more about the music and the experience and stuff. You're yeah, you're right. It's no, nice. so good luck. I hope that um, I hope you can get it all sorted and get over there and um, play yeah, some man. rock and roll again. Yeah, yeah, we've you know over the years we've had a blast over there. You know, we've played a lot of tours in Europe and um, you know Germany, Holland, Belgium's kind of our sort of stronghold over there. We're trying to that's the that's bust out a little bit more and get in, but get into uh, you know Scandinavia a little bit more and over and we've you know, we've never played England so. We want to get to the high rent district up there in Scandinavia. That's expensive touring. I like it. Well, you know what's really crazy is I, I co-wrote one of the biggest rock hits in Norway years ago. There was what? a band that came to Austin called the Backstreet Girls. <gasps> that sounds Look vaguely familiar up. to another band I've heard of. <laughs> yeah, look those guys up. The Backstreet Girls. They're kind. Of, the, the way I describe them is it's like, uh, what if? Early ACDC and the Ramones had a baby. Okay, I can, I can they're, handle that. They're, and dude, they're the most they're the most energetic live band I've ever seen. I've, it's crazy. It, it's I mean, it's like we used to. They were in Austin working on this record years ago, and they would open for us, and I would hate it because <laughs> I would go, dude. We, we, back when the back room was a big deal in Austin, it's hard rock bar, and there'd be mm-hmm. you know eight hundred people there. And they would wear the crowd out before we even went on stage. <laughs> that and, is the worst. And, and so I wrote a song with them called Rattlesnake Charlie. And it was their biggest song. And, and, you know, they're like such a mainstay in Norway. They've been a band for 35, 40 years. Oh, man, that's awesome. I had no idea. I thought <laughs> it was like a younger so we're, guys. Yeah, look up Rattlesnake Charlie Backstreet Girls. And uh, I wrote that song with them. And so we're... You know, I just said, hey, man, we haven't gotten into Norway. And they said, well, come on and open some dates for us. So we're going to go to Norway and open for the Backstreet Girls. So I'll be fine. I, I did my research on you before we talked, and I did not get that note. So I like that. We just, that's the point we, why we do this is we're just having conversations, having fun, yeah. talking with cool, interesting people across this universe. And um, that, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. So were you a vampire in the 90s as well, from what I've understood? Oh, you know what was funny is it, it is that was a really that was a really strange thing that we did. Uh, we were every, everybody. We kept going. Um, we kept going. Um, 
to all these interviews in Europe, and they would go, "So you guys, you're cowboys, yes? You have you have the horses?" <laughs> and we go, well, "No, I live in a high rise on Austin." Finally, we just went, "Yeah, okay, forget it. Yes, we are cowboys." And so we said, "What would be really cool? Let's combine Louisiana and Texas, and we're going to be like, we're going to do this record called Last of the Cowboy Vampires, and we wore like, you know, black leather and cowboy hats and." And it went over big time. We started using some loops and samples, and suddenly, like, the old blues people's children were showing up at the gigs. I, we went, well, I guess we're on to something, you know? I, I think you did. I thought it was uh, I thought it was great. I've checked that stuff out. It's awesome. It's fun. It's, it's different. It's got a cool vibe to it. Yeah, and the record after that was the one that just had my name on it with kind of the alligator-looking skin on mm-hmm. it. The interesting thing about that album, <clears throat> that was the biggest selling record we did in Europe. And... Um, I did that record with Mark Youngersmith in the band, and Mark Mark was the guy that took uh, Steve Stevens' place in Billy Idol's band. Oh my lord! He was that blonde-haired guy that was with Billy for like a decade. That guy could play. Oh well, he was my second guitar player in Europe for years, and he's a great producer. He produced that album. Well, so so what is next for Lance? Then you got this new record coming out. You just kind of, the singles come out, and you're getting ready to go. You're going to tour and support this, aren't you? Yeah, we, we're going to try to get some dates in the States, and we're going to get some you – we're know, working like in just a few minutes. I'll be on this call to talk about dates in, uh, in Europe. So hopefully we'll be out your way. And Derek, has he come to the, the Neon East Rooster? And, He's welcome to come to the Neon Rooster. <clears throat> that's Derek. Where's just, that? It's in, it's in our town. Derek, the, the guy that's on this podcast, he owns a music venue. And it's a, it's a pure well, music venue. So check out the Neon Rooster when you're talking to this booking agent. I'll do it. I'll do it. Because we need to run up the west, I mean, up the east coast, because we have some stuff to do in New York. So it would be great to just kind of go right up the east coast and hit you guys. Yeah, just let me know when we get off the podcast here. We'll, we'll sit in and we'll, 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 um, we'll talk when you get done with your booking agent sometime later this week if you want to and get you squared up with that and then maybe a few other places. Yeah, well, man, guys, really, I, I appreciate y'all taking the time to, to talk to me, and I, y'all have been great friends, and and uh, love your store, and um, can't wait to see what you guys have coming up this year. We got tons of stuff coming up. We're excited. It's been a big, big year for us so far. But Lance, man, it's awesome talking with you and um on the um on the call in here. Thanks for doing that, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, have have a great rest of your uh, podcast, a great rest of the day, and thanks everybody for listening. And have have a have a wonderful Tuesday. All right, be super, Lance. We'll talk to you soon, man. See you, Lance. Thanks, Lance. We'll see you later. Take care, bro. Bye bye. Bye. We just lost Lance. Oh, and there it is. Music. Oh, look at that. Take us home. We'll see you guys next time.